All right, preach the word from Romans chapter 7 and 8. If you've got your Bible, you've got your app, whatever, you can, uh, thank you guys, you can open, open that up to uh, Romans chapter 7. Man, it's good to see you guys here today. There are a lot of our folks from Gateway who are probably getting in their last weekend out of town before school is over, and so thank you to all the guests who have come, and it's great to see some of you I haven't seen in a while. I'm so happy you guys are here, and um, I got two words for you that we like to say here every Sunday. We say them as a belief that this is our only hope. It's the only way that we can have peace with God and each other. We also say it as an offer uh, to one another, that we offer this to each other in our family. We offer this to the people that we're sitting next to and that we're sitting across. So if that's in your heart and you believe that too and you think, yeah, I could say that as a prayer. Yeah, I could say that as an offer to the people around me. Then we're going to say it all together on the count of three. One, two, three. Grace and peace. Amen. Yeah, it's, I said it's two words. It's three words, isn't it? I always say two words, so. Well, uh, just before we dig into our text today, I just want to remind us all about this right here. I believe, if I understood correctly, is this the last week we're going to have this up here? Okay. This is an awesome rocket that was made uh, out of parts from, some of it was Johnny Smith put this together for the deal we did. Yeah, you did. You made this, Johnny. This was what we used when we raised money to go put the well in Kenya. How about that? And so this is a rocket, and it's got some money in it, and this comes from our youth group, who wanted, especially one of our teenagers, but really our whole youth group, that wants to raise $1,000 to buy Christmas presents for the children's home in uh, Portales. And so we're raising it now so that we can buy the presents and take it to them later. And so if you would like to contribute to that, if, and we don't even know what's in there. Has anybody counted this? There might be $10,000 in there. We don't even know. That's great. So there might only be $14 in there. So if you want to contribute 986 then go ahead, because there might only be 14 bucks in there. So if you would like to contribute, today's the last day for that, and then we'll move forward with uh, other, other projects. We also have a couple of things going on this week. We're back to our peak of the week season uh, here at Gateway on Wednesday nights, and this particular Wednesday is going to be a 5.15 dinner, and then 6.15 this Wednesday night we have communion with Grace Harvest Church. Hope you'll plan to come and join us to take communion with them. Mike Kelly will be leading us in worship on Wednesday night. And then also next Sunday is a very important day for our congregation, our church family, in that we are asking for all of the women who are members at Gateway and all of the men who are members at Gateway next Sunday to make plans to stay here from 12 to 12.30. All the women, you're going to stay in the pews. You're just going to sit right here and we're going to have Geneva Fender, Lord willing, God heal her please. She'll be here because she's one of the ministry leaders in our congregation for women's ministry. Also Sarah Storms and also Aaron Gillette. And the three of them are going to be sharing with you some ideas, but they're also looking for your input about women's ministry. So please, women, plan to stay in the pews from 12 to 12.30 next Sunday. 
Men, please plan to move into the fellowship room. And Freddie Velasquez, who's our ministry leader, is going to speak with us there about men's ministry ideas for the fall and this next year and ask for our input about things that we would like to do so that all of us might grow closer to Christ and encourage others to grow closer to Christ. So those are a couple of things coming up. And I just want to say to you guys today, happy Labor Day. Does anybody know what Labor Day is? You don't, it's the day you don't work. It's a day of irony, isn't it? A day of irony. Since 1894, when a lot of workers at that time were working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and some of them in not very uh, good conditions or fair conditions and being paid very little, President Cleveland made this a national holiday during a crisis in Chicago when a bunch of the laborers there, uh, they, they went on strike and I guess uh, shut down the town. And so he made this a national day where we would cease from our labor for a day. And I hope you're resting this weekend from your labor. Next week, we start Mark chapter 1. We're going to be studying the book of Mark through the fall. Mark chapter 1, and you could read Mark 1 this week. Just read in your Bible. We're going to read one chapter a week, and I'm going to preach from that, and we'll have some other study materials for you next week, but you could read chapter 1. This week is just a lesson that kind of stands on its own. Imagine for just a moment that a person needs, I don't know, whatever you think they need. Somebody, just somebody needs something. You know people. You know, pe- you know people right now. You think, oh yeah, that person needs this. And, and imagine that you overhear a conversation. The person who needs something and another person is talking to that person. And the person that's talking with them says the answer is, and they give them an answer to what they need. But you know that that person is wrong. That is not the case. What that person says is the answer is not right. You know this person who has a need is going to be disappointed or angry and definitely is not going to get what they need. So you're standing by close by and you hear this. You hear this conversation. What would you most likely do? Would you say, well, that's not really my business. You know, I, I'm just going to stay out of it. Uh, maybe you would say, I don't want to offend the person who had that idea. Maybe it helps if we fill in the blanks. What if, what if you had a little kid who needed help with their homework, and they asked their Uncle Earl, what's two plus two? And Uncle Earl said, seven. All right, what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to offend Uncle Earl? You know, you might offend him if you step into that. Or are you just going to say, you know what? I'm I'm just going to keep quiet about that. Would you just go about your life thinking, well, that's their problem. That's that little kid's problem. He's always going to think two plus two equals seven. But I have what I, I know what two plus two is, and so it stinks to be him, but that's not my problem. Or would you try to inter- would you try to offer a true answer, even if it upset Uncle Earl or the little kid? Would you step in? What would what you would do probably, probably depends on how important the topic is. You hear someone say, Oh, I need to get a haircut. You hear a person say, I got the answer for that. And they send them to a person that you know destroys people's hair. But I mean, you figure, you know, it'll be, it'll be funny on Instagram. And, you know, if your hair grows back, I'm not going to say anything. I mean, I'm, I'm going I'm to look for them next week. 
Uh, maybe it's no big deal. On the other hand, what if you hear someone say, man, me and my spouse, we, need, we really need some help in our marriage. And you hear a person say, well, I'll tell you the answer to that is, buddy, you need to start going out with your friends on Friday night and hanging out at the bar. You just need to cut loose a little bit. That's going to help your marriage. And you go, that is the wrong answer. You probably... You probably, if you care about these people, you probably intervene, even if it made the go-to-the-bar guy mad. Because it's, it's pretty serious. What if, somebody, what if somebody's had a life-threatening illness? That's their need. They have a life-threatening illness. And somebody says, well, let me tell you what the cure-all is. It's called vitamin C. You can get it at Walmart. It'll cure anything. You just take as, you just take as much of that as you can stand. A bottle a day, it'll cure all of your life-threatening diseases. And that person that you care about, you step in and you go, that guy is dumb. All right? The vitamin C guy is an idiot. All right? Vitamin C man, <laughs> he's loopy. Something's wrong with him. You step in and you say no. I, I can tell you about a doctor. I can tell you about some cures. I can tell you, you know, my grandma went through this. And so you would step in and intervene if it was very important. This morning, I want to intervene with God's word because it's that serious. It's that serious. Which chair are you sitting in? Because one of them is guaranteed to disappoint you. One of them is guaranteed to bring frustration. One of them eventually will collapse underneath you. But the other chair, it looks similar, but it's sure to hold you. And it's sure to hold the weight of your life forever. We're going to look at God's Word today and see which chair do we want to be sitting in. Before we do that, we want to pray and we, we always pray for another congregation of believers from all different denominations in our uh, community. And today, on that rotation, it's our turn to pray. Uh, it's the time to pray for the Mountain View Church of Christ, which meets out on uh, Airport Road, just a little bit east of Highway 48. And a lot of people that we really love are a part of that congregation, and we want to pray that God blesses that congregation we want to pray that they explode with growth to the point they have to build a new building. We want them to know how much they're loved. And, and we always want to be people who bless the Mountain View Church of Christ. So we want to pray to that end today. The other thing that we do is we always pray about, we always pray about a specific topic. And today we're going to thank God for the assurance of our salvation. Let's, let's bow our head and let's pray. Lord, thank you today for this gathering of believers. Thank you for the guests who have come from uh, out of town, most likely, that are here in the mountains. We pray that they are refreshed by the pine trees, by um, the cool air, by the wildlife, by the smell of rain, hopefully this afternoon. But mostly, God, we pray that they are refreshed today by uh, the goodness of your family, the goodness of your presence, the goodness of your word, the goodness of who you are, and that we've gathered here today to celebrate that. Lord, we thank you for the Mountain View Church of Christ. We're grateful for uh, those who are leading there. We pray for wisdom on their part. I thank you for their new uh, preacher, 
for Gary Simpson and his wife Robin. I just ask God in the name of Jesus that you would bless them uh, with much success as they proclaim the gospel. We pray that Gary will clearly proclaim that Jesus came to this earth, lived as a person, that he died on the cross for our sins, finishing your work, that he was buried dead and that he rose from the dead. And we pray that because of that story, the power of the gospel itself, that people would come to you there. Lord, we also thank you for that story and we thank you for the assurance that we have of our salvation, not because of ourselves, not because of uh, our church attendance or our doctrinal correctness or our helping uh, um, elderly ladies across the street, not because of anything that we've ever read the Bible so many times or gone on a mission trip. We trust and thank you for the assurance of salvation because of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, period. We give you praise for that, God. We embrace it completely today. Thank you for it. Lord, as we study today from Romans and other places in Your Word, I pray, God, that Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. In spite of my weaknesses, in spite of uh, maybe even what other people are thinking about or the things that we have a hard time listening to, God, we pray that Your Spirit would work in each and every open heart today. Each person who wants to grow closer to Christ and encourage others to grow closer to Christ. We pray it all through the name of Jesus our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Romans chapter 7, and we'll read verses 21 to 24. I want you to think if you've ever had the experience of this paragraph in your life before. Ready? Romans 7. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subjected to death? I wonder if you've felt this way, if you've had this experience in your life. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I'm addicted. I'm far from living, far from living up to God's standard. I wonder if these are things that run through your mind as you live your day-to-day life. Paul says it this way right here. What a wretched man I am. Some people, I don't think we use the word wretched all that often, but some people say it, Say it this way, and maybe maybe they, maybe we, should include myself in this. Maybe we only say it in those dark, quiet moments when we're by ourselves. Maybe we only say it to ourselves. I am such an idiot. I am such a loser. I could never live up to what I should do. I feel. So ashamed. I feel humiliated. I feel incredibly weak. I could never go to church. I could never pray. God wouldn't want me anyways. A few people. Well, let me say this. I think for most people in the world, 
on some level, this is a universal experience of having these feelings in the experience of our life. There are a few people who don't ever seem to feel this way. Maybe they don't ever feel this way because I believe they have made a short list of things they do that make them feel good about themselves. The, the old joke was, you know, I don't, I don't drink or chew or go with girls who do. You guys have all heard that before. It's like this little shortened list. Like I make this little tiny short list that encapsulates religion and I feel good about myself when I keep my little short list. But if these people who shortened this list down ever held their entire life, shined all light on it and held it up to the holiness of Almighty God, to His perfect love, to His righteousness, to His law, if they were truly honest in that way, they would fall, we would all fall on our knees, trembling, all of our goodness that we maybe have depended on would melt into nothingness before a holy God of the universe. When we do feel this way, what a wretched man I am. Most people in the world ask this question. If I, if I have this, this, this experience, what a wretched person I am. Here's the question most people ask. What should I do? And here's the first chair. Can you guys see that out there? All the way in the back? Good. What should I do? And this is where religion steps in to give us answers. All religions answer this question right here. All major religions of the world have this two-letter word in common. You are separated from whatever the religion calls God, and you must do these things in order to come back or to be made right. Judaism says that the Old Testament gives us these Ten Commandments and 600 plus more commandments in the Old Testament. Do these things in order to be right with Yahweh or Jehovah. Islam holds up the Quran and says, do these five pillars right here. If you will do all five of these pillars faithfully, then what will happen is you will go to paradise. You must do these things. Hinduism, the Vedas say, do good in this life because there's karma and what's going to happen is, because of how good or bad you are, you're going to be reincarnated into some higher being or some lower being. And once you've been reincarnated enough times, eventually you can enter into Moshka. But you must do these good things so karma will turn the right way. Moshka is basically joining the little light of God in you to the, the light of the God of the universe. Buddhism says the sutras that are their holy texts say, do the Eightfold Pathway. And if you will do the Eightfold Pathway faithfully, you will enter eventually after so many lives into nirvana, which nirvana can be translated as nothingness. You become nothing. And unfortunately, some man-made Christian religions 
Not biblical Christianity. But some man-made Christian religions say, do all of the commandments in the New Testament. Keep all of the traditions of our tribe. Know the correct exact answer for every doctrinal question. And on and on and on. There are more things could be added. And if you do that enough, if you do enough, heaven will be waiting. It's so interesting to me that Paul, when he cries out, what a wretched person I am! He does not ask for a to-do list to fix that. Paul asks for a person. That's what Paul asks for. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul knows he himself can never do enough to make up for who he is. Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity adds two letters. Two letters to this word. And you guys, if you've looked in the bulletin, you already know what they are. If you haven't, drum roll please. There it is. Done. Do and done. Biblical Christianity realizes that Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He lived the perfect life that we cannot. That is done. He paid for our sins which we cannot. That is done. Done. He conquered death, which we cannot. That is done. He acquired righteousness that we cannot acquire. It is done by Jesus. The Bible is clear, crystal clear about the bad, bad news that you cannot do enough. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 3. This is a list of quotes that Paul brings us from the Old Testament about humanity, which last time I checked, that includes all of us. We're part of the human race. This is what Paul says about all humanity. Here's what he says. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is Paul's description of the human condition. And we don't like that. We don't like to think of ourselves in any of those ways that Paul just said. We'd rather think I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I'm certainly better than... Anybody want to fill in the blank? I don't... Nope. Smart people. Alright, see, you guys are better than most people. A lot of people would have called out a name. But you thought it you thought you were thinking, yeah, you're right, I am better than my brother-in-law, Earl, you know. So you, you, 
we like to think of ourselves in comparison somehow. We like to say, look at the stuff that I do. Look at what I have done. Look at what I'm going to do. As if that would make up for the list in Romans chapter 3 of who we are. Paul expounds on this. He takes it even further in the letter to the Ephesians. This is us as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, by nature, that's human nature, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Folks, dead people do not have good hearts. A dead person's heart is not beating. It's not good. And people do not have good hearts without God. We don't like to think that way either. How many country music fans in the... Come on, fess up. How many country music fans? Let's go. See them. All right. That's a lot. Luke Bryan. I like Luke Bryan. He's a pretty good, pretty good country artist. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's got a song. I love the beat to it. Comes on in the truck. I kind of, you know, be singing along with it, bouncing along. But I started listening to the words one day and I thought, it's not true. I believe most people are good. Most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. I like that song. Problem is, it's false. It goes exactly against Romans chapter 3. It goes smacks directly into Ephesians chapter 2. It's not true. And if we tell people, just be good. Do. Do this. Do more. And you'll be good. Well, you're doing pretty good, but if you'll do more, if you'll do change and do this, if oh, you've got to add this part over here, and then you will... You know what we're doing? If we leave it in the hands of people to do good, we're putting them under a weight that people cannot bear. We cannot bear the weight. Some people call it legalism. Carrying the weight of doing all the right things. For a few people, it leads to pride. The people who shrink that list down to a short little list, because they feel pretty good about themselves when we say do good. And they say, I am pretty good. And they become prideful. And for most people, it leads to despair. A lot of people don't go to worship God in a place like this. Because they think, I can't do it anyways. Why should I go do that? Why should I go be reminded of all the things that I can't do? It's not good news. But the Gospel is good news. Because the Gospel comes between these two extremes and says this. Here's what the Gospel says to everyone in this room. You are not 
good enough. You do not do enough. You will never do enough to be accepted by God. That's the Gospel. But Jesus has done enough. Jesus has done all. Jesus has finished the work of salvation at the cross. That's the Gospel. That is good news. You're not good enough for God, but Jesus was good enough for you. He took your place. He did it for you. That's why Paul goes on in Ephesians. After this part that was depressing, he goes on in verse 4 with a great word. But, but because, not of what you did, because of what you did, no, it doesn't say that. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And we get the greatest hymn. I don't know that anybody could ever write another hymn that would touch the hymn. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some of us here in this room were at the Chris Tomlin concert a week or so ago, and his great worship time is out at the end of the mountain gods, and the whole place out there turns into this incredible worship church service. It's amazing. And Chris Tomlin, he talked about that he... Uh, he talked about that he was at, a, uh, at the National Day of Prayer last February, and he was leading worship there. And they told him, you be quiet. Don't you? In other words, you just sing your songs. You don't, this is not a place for you to say anything. You come up, you sing your songs, you play your guitar. When you're done, you sit down. Nobody's going to listen to you. They're all eating breakfast. These are all congressmen, all right? This is the, I don't know if the president, I guess he was there, but anyways, this is all Washington, D.C. They're not going to listen. You just play your guitar and sing your songs and sit down. So he got up there and he started doing that, and he got to this song, Amazing Grace. And he's added a little chorus to it, My Chains Are Gone. But he got to this and he said something amazing happened. He said everybody stopped eating. And that entire crowd, he said, and he said it was between, I think he said 150 people or something like that. 150 people stood to their feet and sang. Sang amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because it's a universal experience. We know what a wretched person I am. The only thing that law can give you is a list of things to do. And it has never worked. And it is not working now for people who are trying it. And it will never work in the future, ever. Grace offers us not a list of what we should do, but instead the hope of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And so again, back to what Paul cried out, what a wretched man I am. Who? He calls for a person. Who? Who's going to do it? I can't do it. Who will rescue me? In verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh wow, I got to talk fast. I'm running out of battery. 
And he goes on rejoicing in chapter 8. I love this. It's so beautiful. Chapter 8, the beginning, is incredible. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to what? Do. Why? Because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. No shame. No guilt. No I should do more. Just joy, joy, joy and thanksgiving for what Jesus has done on my behalf. So the question is the question is not is what I'm doing enough? Because I've already told you and the Bible tells us. It's an easy answer. No. You're not doing enough. Absolutely not. The question is do I trust the one who has done enough? Well John, let me ask you this. I'm just, I got this slide because it I mean, it basically says law can only offer us a list of things to do. The gospel offers us what Jesus has done. Let me ask you this, John. Are you saying that we don't do anything? Like you're just telling us not to do stuff? Any person who could read the Bible and say don't do anything is a complete idiot. Don't listen to that person, all right? The Bible is full of do's. Let me just give you a little short part of the list. See if you can count how many do's I give. Are you ready? Somebody be ready to tell me afterwards. One of you math guys. All right, Cody, here we go. Here's a list of commands for you to do. Pray, forgive, repent, be filled with the Spirit, worship, be thankful, confess the name of Jesus to others, share what you have, fast, be baptized, stay married, tell the truth, Take communion. Be kind. Have compassion. Meet together with other believers. Feed hungry people. Get water for thirsty people. Be submissive to your elders. Give clothes to people who don't have any. Visit people in prison. Obey your parents. All you young people hear that? Obey your parents. Take care of sick people. Pay your taxes. Testify about your faith. Visit lonely People, encourage other people. Go into all the world and make disciples of other people. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pray for your enemies. Stay sober. Tell the truth. Be sexually pure by keeping sex in your marriage. Only say things that build other people up. Do you want me to keep going? I could keep going for a really long time. That's probably enough, right? You get the point? How many was it, Cody? Who said that? 37? 68? <laughs> Grace and peace. There are dozens, hundreds of things the Bible says to do. Here at Gateway and from me personally, we're not saying don't do what the Bible says. We would never say that. The point is, why are we doing the things we're doing? Are we doing them so that we can be saved from being a wretch? 
If so, you will be sorely disappointed. We do all of these things and many more because we are saved. These things we do are a response to the finished work of Jesus at the cross. We are responding to what He has done by the things that we do. Some of you might still not be convinced. I don't know. I'm not sure about that, John. It's not kind of wasn't raised like that. My grandma said, I bet your grandma was a good lady. I bet she loved the Lord. I bet she read the Bible. But your grandma wasn't Jesus. So how about this? What if somebody asked Jesus the question, what must we do in order to do the works of God? If they asked Jesus and out of His own lips, He gave you an answer about what you must do, would that be good enough for you instead of your grandma? How about just Jesus' words? Here they are. Because someone did ask him that question. What must we do to do the works of the Father? And this is what Jesus said. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he sent. Jesus does not give them a list when they ask, what must we do? Instead, he points them to a person. He points them to himself. He points them to his mission on the cross, to salvation by grace through faith in Christ. He points them to the work that is done by him. And my question for all of us today, are you trusting which chair today? Are you trusting your goodness, your works, your doctrinal understanding of the New Testament, anything else that you want to list that you do? Are you trusting that? Then I beg you to stop trusting that today. Keep doing all that. Keep doing all that. Stop trusting that. Cry out with Paul, not what do I do? Cry out with Paul, who will save me, a wretch, and believe that the answer is Jesus? Trust in His work at the cross. Believe that it is done. It's the best thing that could ever happen on Labor Day is for you to stop laboring in order to be saved. And instead that you would labor out of joy because you are saved. If you've placed your faith in Him, if you've done what He said, you've believed in the One but you've never done some of these responses we talked about. I listed up, you know, 27, 38, 69, you know, whatever it was. I'd listed, I listed all those responses. If you haven't done those, do those. Respond to His good grace. And we find in the New Testament that the first response that people did when they did trust what Jesus had done, their first response of what they did was to be baptized. Hey, don't worry about it, man. We love babies. We love it. We love it. You just keep them right there. So we could, we could baptize you into Christ today if you've never been baptized into Christ. We keep the water warm almost every day of the year. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and I'd like to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a great song. Would you bow with me? Lord God, thank you for our grandmas who taught us about Jesus. Thank you, God, for uh, just that they, uh, they loved you, they loved the Word. 
And God, help us to uh, honor them and thank them. But help us never to put them ahead of you. Help us never to put their words ahead of your words. Help us to sit down on the chair of your work at the cross and trust completely 100% in what you have done. I pray, God, that for people here today, if there's anyone who has been taught that they must do things in order to be saved and they feel prideful today, I pray that you would gently destroy their pride. If there's anyone today that's been taught they must do a list of things in order to be saved and they are despondent, I pray that you would encourage them with joy today, God, of the good news of Jesus Christ that you have done the work for us. May we all, every day of our life, trust what you have done. We pray it all through the name of Jesus our Savior and everyone said, Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.